Thanks for listening to this week's Hope at Crossroads. We are glad you're taking the time to listen. As you tune in today, if you need encouragement or prayer, please reach out to us by texting 864-288-1626. Or you can connect with us through our website, hopeatcrossroads.org. Spread the word to your friends and let them know they can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Videos of our messages are also online at hope at crossroads.org. And now, here's this week's message. Let's pray together before you're seated. Father, I pray right now that the presence of your Holy Spirit would engulf not only this room, but our hearts. Lord, as Joey said, no doubt in a group this size, there are a lot of needs before us. Needs that only the Savior of the world can meet. So Lord, I pray that we would sense your comfort, we would sense your presence. Lord, we would sense your power. Yes, Lord, we would even sense maybe your conviction today. We would leave this place changed, different. Oh God, please do not let the time that we've been, we will be here today in this worship center in our small groups be just time that's been occupied and air that we've breathed. But may it be transformative, Lord. I pray that for myself today. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd speak to me today. Convict me today. Challenge me today. And thank you that your word always does that. It always does that. And we're thankful that that is the case. Be with us during the service in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's good to see you this morning. You know, just to tell you a couple little things that aren't on the agenda... It's great when you've been working with somebody long enough that they kind of read your mind without you having to say anything. And I was, as you guys were singing, I was thinking, boy, I hope Joey does that at least just one more time. And then he said, let's sing it one more time. You know, uh, just a personal comment before we look at the scripture, if you want to be turning to Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12. I was talking to a friend a few months ago about churches and worship styles and different things that were going on, and we got into this conversation. I, I'm a music person. I know some of you are not musically inclined, and uh, you would love it if we had like one song and then we went straight to the scripture. I know we're all wired differently, we're all made differently. Uh, I'm kind of the opposite, where I would love to come in and us just sing for an hour and then give you a little, a five minute nugget of God's word. And the reason for that for me is, and I'm so glad that he sung that song again, sometimes it takes me worshiping for 20, 30, 40 minutes to just get the distractions of life out of my head so I can actually focus on worshiping God. Now that's just me, because I have ADDDD, right? And so usually for the first 20 minutes of worship, I'm like, okay, look at that light over there. Wow, they look nice in their Valentine's outfit. And the whole time, surely the presence. Look at that red, Lord. Isn't that a beautiful color red? And my brain is all over. And so finally, toward the end, I'm finally like, okay, God, I'm finally focused on you, which is what worship is supposed to be about. So 
I know we're all different, but thank you, Joey, for singing that a couple, two, three times uh, this morning. We're going to look at, as Joey told us, uh, the person Abram, who would later be called Abraham. Last week, we looked, we looked at Noah, and I would encourage you to, uh, to look in your Bible because you'll find out that Noah had several sons, and then you'll find the story of, some of you know this story in the Scripture, the Tower of Babel, where people began to build this idol, and uh, the Lord said, wow, they can communicate so freely, it's no telling what they're going to come up with uh, to turn people away from me, since they all can speak the same language, I'm going to mix it up and change all their languages. Man, I'm surprised he doesn't do that again, because we're all creative, even those of us who speak English, of coming up collectively with ways that are turning people away from God. But read those stories, I encourage you to read those chapters, and we get to chapter 12, and we find this man named Abram. Abram, by the way, is the one, some of you will know this, that a little bit later, Heath will be talking about this maybe next week, you get into Genesis chapter 15, and the Lord confirms what we're going to read today in chapter 12. He confirms his covenant with Abram again. Abram is also the one that he and his wife Sarai really didn't believe it when God said, you're going to get pregnant and have a baby and they, she laughed at that whole story because she thought, well, I'm too old, he's too old, it'll never happen. And so because of her lack of faith, she uh, gave him over to their servant, Hagar, and Abram wound up having a child with her, that's Genesis 16. Eventually, Abram becomes Abraham, and Sarah does have a child. So all that stuff is going to happen soon, but we're going to back up to Genesis chapter 12 and discover who this guy Abram really is and how God spoke to him. So let's look at it. Abram, uh, let's look at Genesis chapter 12. Let's just read the first few verses here. The Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives. That's important. Remember that. And from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and so shall you be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and you and all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarah his wife, and Lot his nephew, and all their possessions that they had accumulated, and the persons they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they came to the land of Canaan. And let's just stop right there, and the Lord winds up having a conversation with Abram. I want, I want to share with you today, when we talk about following God, a couple, two or three actually, things that will help you and help me when it comes to following God. And we find out the first one just in these verses of the first few verses of chapter 12. Here it is. God must be the one to whom your loyalty lies. God must be the one to whom your loyalty lies. God, the Lord, said to Abram in verse 1, Go. Where you go, I go. We just sung it. Where you stay, I stay. Whom you love, I love. God said to Abram in verse 1 of chapter 12, go, and and a few verses later, actually verse 4, it says, Abram went. Abram went. God must be the one to whom 
your loyalty lies. Abram was faithful, not in and of himself, by the way, but he was faithful and it was a little bit easier to be faithful because of the blessings of God. Because you have to read there all the things that God said he was going to do. If you'll notice it in verses 1, 2, 3, and 4, there's several things there that God said, I will do this, I will do that, I will do this, I will do that. Promises of God that we will find in later chapters as we go through the book of Genesis being fulfilled. God's promise. So while Abram was great, And his faith was great. Perhaps more important than his faith was the fact that God made him a promise. And God is a promise keeper. And whatever God says to us as his people, God will fulfill his promises. I don't know if you've ever had to wait a long time. We're going to discover that Abram had to wait a long time for a lot of things that God said this is going to happen. I mentioned last week, we're in the waiting right now. God has told us in his word that for those of us who have given our lives to Jesus and uh, repented of our sins and turned our hearts to him and asked him to save us, for those of us who have done that, one day we will spend eternity with him in heaven. And those days are coming for those of us that are still here. That's a promise from God's word. And sometimes we grow weary because we don't see the promise being fulfilled. But make no mistake, my dear friend, God is a promise keeper. And what he says he will do, he will do in his time. And Abram perhaps was beginning to learn this, that God's blessing as God poured out his blessing on Abram and said to him, I'm going to do these things, was not, by the way, for just for Abram. Because if you listen there closely in those verses, he said, I'm going to do these things. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. And in your families, all the earth shall be blessed. The blessing was not just for Abram. The blessing was for all the families of the earth, not just for Abram. And God's blessing to Abram wasn't for his own sake, just like God's blessing to you and I is not just for our own sake. Can I ask you a question this morning that I asked myself when I rolled out of bed and I woke up to face another day? Are you grateful for God's blessing? Because God has blessed you. God has blessed you. And the world would have us forget that blessing. And the world, even at that time, would have Abram forget that God had blessed him. But the reality is you and I are extremely blessed. We're blessed in a lot of ways. We're blessed with family. We're blessed with a great church. We're blessed with friends. We're blessed financially. You may go, wow, it's a struggle for me. It may be. I've shared this statistic before, I believe, but just it bears repeating with what we're talking about this morning, that if your family household income is more than $15,000 a year, your household income annually is more than $15,000 a year. Now, most of us would say that is, that's poverty level. It, it kind of is here in the United States. But do you recognize if that is your household income or more, you're in the top 5% of wealth on the planet You're blessed. And so am I. But not just to be a blessing for me, but to be a blessing to others. And Abram was reminded by God, this blessing that I'm going to give is not just for you, Abram. It's for the whole world, for all the families of the earth. And I think what he was trying to get Abram to realize was this vision he's giving to Abram, and we're going to see it unfold in the next few chapters, is a missionary vision to impact the world. And what God is doing, and what God is doing, I believe, not only with Abram, but with you and I and Crossroads, our church family, is the way he's blessing and the the opportunities that he's giving us, and the way he's calling us is not just to be a blessing to Crossroads, but to be a blessing to all of the earth, to all the world. And so Abram is told by God, go and 
A few verses later, verse 4, it says, Abram went. But maybe you didn't notice exactly what God said to him. Because God gave him some specific instructions. God said to him, go forth from your country and go from your relatives and go from your father's house. Leave your relatives, leave your father's house, go. He's speaking to him saying, this is what you need to do to go out by yourself to a land I will show you. Well, if you read a few verses later, he went. He went. But he didn't do exactly what God told him to do. Because it says, Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. However, Lot went with him. Verse 4, verse 5, not only Lot, his nephew, but all the possessions he had accumulated and all the persons they had acquired. What does that tell me about Abram at this point in his life? We'll discover a little bit later when he's willing to sacrifice his son. He's all in at that point. But back up the beginning of the story where we are now, he's not quite all in. He's partially obeying God. And as my granddaddy used to tell me, boy... Partial obedience is disobedience. Our loyalty should lie with the Lord Jesus. And Lot went with him. God commanded him specifically to do some things. And yet he brought his nephew Lot along. And we're going to find out that was not a great decision. Because Lot was not going to be a blessing to Abram. As a matter of fact, it was going to be trouble in the family. I don't know if you have some of those people in your family. I have some of those people in my family. If you don't have some of those people in your family, you might be the one in your family. (laughs) Because family relationships are difficult. They're challenging. They are hard. And God tries to explain to him from the very beginning of his journey with the Lord. He tries to explain to him, you have to obey me. Your loyalty has to be with me. Now, let me just be honest, in our culture in which we live right now, it's very popular and it's very easy, my dear friends, to have divided loyalty, which kind of is an oxymoron. The two words don't go together. How can you have divided loyalty? It's kind of like jumbo shrimp. Those two words do not fit together. Divided loyalty. But yet in our culture, that's what culture wants to push forward. Yeah, you can be loyal, but you can have divided loyalty. Say, Pastor Jack, what are you talking about? You can have divided loyalty in your marriage. Where you're somewhat loyal to your spouse, but you're also loyal maybe to something else on the side. And our culture propagates that as if that's an okay thing. We can have divided loyalty with our own personal relationship with Jesus. Where we say we're a child of God, and I say I'm a child of God, and most of the things I try to do for God, but there's some things I don't really obey God in. And by the way, that's true of me just like it is of you. Don't look at me with deer in headlights like, wow, I can't believe the pastor's that way. I'm a human being. But I am striving for, and I hope you are striving for, to be fully, 100% loyal to God. And we live in a culture that wants to push us to do Other things, we actually live in a culture in the South, even denominationally, that would have us to uh, wonder where our loyalties lie. And it's scary. And I want to get into all that this morning because some of you have asked about 
our denomination and where we're headed. And it's scary because there are little things that can creep in that make us begin to be loyal to a politician or loyal to a political party or loyal to a denomination. And none of that is what God's called us to do. He's called us to be loyal to the Lord Jesus Christ only, solo, Him alone. To be loyal. And that's where we start getting off the boat because people start to convince us that we can have divided loyalties. You can't do it. You can try to do it, but it doesn't work. And the Lord is trying to set Abram up to be an effective follower of Jesus by saying, here's your first instruction, go. Here's specific instructions how to go. And Abram only partially obeys what the Lord tells him to do. Our loyalty should be with the Lord Jesus. Well, So what happens? What happens to Abram? Abram passes through the land in verse 6 as far as the site of Shechem. To the oak of Mori. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said. Just a reminder. He, he said this several times already. To your descendants I'm going to give you this land. So Abram built an altar there to the Lord. Who had appeared to him. And we're going to find out. He's going to come back to that altar a little bit later. And I started thinking about altars. Altars are very important things in scripture. Altars are very important. As a matter of fact if you back up to verse 6. Abram, there, he goes through the land, he builds this altar. You'll find out a little bit later in verse 8. He proceeds from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel. He pitched his tent there with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he builds another altar. And you'll find out all throughout the story of Abram, it'll be interesting how many times you see those phrases, he built an altar, he built an altar. Altars are very important in Scripture. I would submit to you that altars are also important in 2022. I am all for getting with the program. I am all for moving with society. I'm all for being progressive as society changes as long as we don't walk away from the truth and the biblical truth of who God is and what His Word says. But one of the things that we've done in contemporary culture is this place down here that we've called an altar, we don't come too much anymore. This should not be a scary place. You say, what well, does it really look like an altar? It's not about what it looks like. It's about the position of your heart when you walk up to the altar. And this is an altar. Your home can be an altar. Your chair right there, you could turn around and kneel, could be an altar. I hope to God as we progress in our world, even with Christianity, that we don't walk away from remembering the importance of an altar. That's why we have an invitation on Sunday morning. That's why we have an invitation song. We call it an invitation because the Lord of creation is inviting you to respond to what the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart. And you have that opportunity to come down. You don't have to come down. But you have that opportunity to come to the altar and say, God, here's what you've spoken to me and have a conversation with God. Say, Pastor Jack, can I do that for my seat? Sure you can, absolutely. Could not have Abram done it from his donkey or horse or whatever he was riding? Sure he could. But in those particular instances, and you'll see all throughout Scripture, many instances, he did that to, so it would be a visual reminder and a memorial and a memory etched in his brain that I went and I went to the altar and this is what happened. Now, I don't know everybody in here, and I don't know everybody's heart in here, I should say. But I know mine. And it's much easier 
would be much easier on a Sunday morning to sit and worship and hopefully engage and not be passive, but engage and hear the word and to sit at the end and to get up and walk out. It would be much easier for me to forget what God said to me unless there was some visible demonstration on my part to seal it in my heart and mind. And that's what an altar is for. Just for free. That wasn't in my notes. But I think it's important. The altar is important. The altar is not just important for me individually. It's important for us corporately. It's sometimes the time where we come down as a church body and we come to the altar and we say, Lord, we, we submit ourselves collectively to you as a church. Because our loyalty is to you. And to you alone. So he builds this altar to the Lord. It was an important place that he wanted to meet with God. In his case, it was a place where he went to sacrifice for sin. He showed his submission to God, to worship God. If you study the book of Hebrews, as a matter of fact, you'll see that we too as Christians have an altar. We have a place where we can meet with God. For some of us, it's our homes. For some of us, it's our car, maybe. You're by yourself in your car and you're just worshiping. And you pull up at the red light and you're singing. You look over and the person's looking at you going, they're weird because you're worshiping in your car. It's okay. It's all right. Wherever your altar is, I encourage you to consider having an altar. Well, the rest of chapter 12, we find out very quickly, fast forwarding, that after Abram builds this altar, he goes to Egypt and he has a run-in with the Pharaoh. He's scared that the Pharaoh is going to hurt him. And so he lies about Sarai and he says, that's not my wife, that's my sister. And so Sarai goes in to the Pharaoh's quarters, and God reveals himself to the Pharaoh. Hey, this is not, this is, this is his wife. What in the world's going on? And he goes out and he rebukes Abram. Once again, for his lack of faith. So that happens. What in the world happened to Lot while this was going on? Well, let's find out. Let's look at chapter 13. Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with he and his wife and all that belonged to him. And Lot is with him. So they're still together. And Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he went on his journey from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning. Remember that? Between Bethel and Ai. He goes back to the place of the altar. Here we go. Altar again. And he made there formerly. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who had been with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. And the land could not sustain them while dwelling together, for their possessions were so great. They weren't able to remain together. There starts to be strife in the family. Man, you got too many kids. Your kids are fussing at my kids. Your kids are eating my food. Whatever. Get over there on your side of the car. You know, draw a line. We're going to grandma's house. Move over. Whatever was going on. There was a lot of arguments between the family. So much so that Abram's finally like, what in the world am I going to do? I just cannot handle all this. And so he says to him, you make a decision. You make a decision, verse 8, here's what he says. Abram says to Lot, please don't let there be any more strife between us or between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we're brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I will go to the left. Abram gives his nephew an opportunity to decide what he is going to do. What does Lot do? Let's look at it and find out what Lot does. Lot does this, verse 10 of chapter 13. 
Lot lifts up his eyes and he saw the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It looked like the garden of the Lord. Like the land of Egypt as you go to Zor. Looked like. Here's the second thing we learn from this story. The second thing is things aren't always as they seem. Things are not always as they seem. Lot's choice, as he looked out at this area, and Abram said, you decide which one you want. Lot chose the one that looked like the grass was greener on the other side. I'll take that one. Uncle, you can have that barren land over there. I'm going to take that one, because that looks like milk and honey over there. I'm going to take that one. Thank you for letting me have first dibs. You ever done that with somebody? We had this thing growing up when I was in the youth group. There was this guy named Skip Midkiff. His last name was Midkiff. And whenever you'd have something left over, maybe it's a brownie left after youth group or whatever, he'd go, all right, you got first dibs. But what he meant was he got to do the cutting, and then you got to choose which half you wanted. It was the Midkiff rule. We started calling it, it's a Midkiff rule. We see what you're doing here. You're trying to get the biggest piece. You say you're giving me first dibs, but no, no, no. You're, you're, I see what you're doing here. That's kind of what's going on here with Lot and his uncle Abram. He gives him the choice and Lot's choice was wrong. Some people look at this and they'd say, wow, that was the first decision Lot made that led his heart astray. No, 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 you've missed it. Lot's heart was already astray. That's why he made the wrong decision. And if you're here and you've got major decisions in your life to make, and who doesn't have those every single week, right? We've got some kind of major decision. I want to tell you, dear friends, if you base your decision on the way things seem, on the way things look, you and I are destined to mess up. I've got a wonderful uh, example, most recently in my own life, in the life of my mom, when she went to the doctor back in July, or the end of June, and they said, guess what, at most you probably have a couple months to live. Guess what? Nope. Wrong. The scan said there was a lot of cancer, and there was, but God stepped in the middle of it. But God. She got a report Friday from the doctor who said, guess what, you're cancer-free, you're in remission. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for that. That's awesome. I got to tell you, the first couple weeks after getting that report, it was easy for her and easy for us as a family to go, well, you know what they saw on the screen. And some of you in here that are cancer survivors know what I'm talking about. And by the way, thank you for your ministry to me. We said yesterday at the Hope meeting, I think it was Miss Connie, who said, you can't minister to somebody who has cancer if you haven't walked through cancer. And I've never walked through cancer. But those of you who had, have, who've encouraged me, were able to pass that encouragement so I could pass that encouragement to my mom. Hello, that's the way the body of Christ is supposed to work, by the way. It's a reminder that what God told, the Lord told Abram was, the blessing's not just for you, but it's for other people. Your testimony's not just for you, it's for other people. Thank God so many of you shared those words of encouragement with me because I was able to pass that on. We don't make decisions by the way things look all the time. I'm not saying we're naive and we make rash decisions. Decisions that we don't weigh out. I'm not saying you don't look at sometimes the pros and cons and you think logically, God gave us a mind. But I will tell you most often, more than not, in my spiritual journey, when I make decisions by the way things look, I'm usually taking two steps back away from where God wants me to go. 
So how does that apply to us right now? I've got a great example of how that applies to us church right now because I've had dear friends of mine around the country who have said, tell me what's going on at Crossroads and I tell them. And I tell them what God's led us to do as a church with building a children's center over here and reallocating our space back here for adults. And a lot of those people dare say they're pastors, believe it or not, who say, what are you doing during a result of a pandemic? At the end of a pandemic, inflation is rising. You guys are building a building. What in the world are you doing? Don't you see how things look? And I go, no, I'm closing my eyes. I'm following Jesus by faith. Hello? I'm not saying, again, we act irrational and we do stupid things. That's not what I'm saying. Where is faith if we can see everything God wants us to do? Why do we need faith? I think there's so many times in heaven God's looking down going, you don't even need me. Why are you even praying, asking me for faith? You've got it all figured out by yourself. Just go do it. And we wonder why God's kind of just taking himself out of churches and many churches are sitting empty without the Spirit of God. The reason why is God's going, you don't need me. Go figure it out. You've already got your plan. We have no plan if we don't have God. We have no plan if our loyalty is not to God first and foremost. Say, Pastor Jack, you need to cut back on the caffeine on Sunday morning. What I want is for some of us to learn some of the things Scripture is trying to teach us that I've not fully learned yet, by the way. Please don't ever take anything that I try to share with you from God's Word as being that, oh, He has it all figured out. No, I do not. But if I went back 30 years ago, 25, 26 for sure, when I met Lynette and we started dating and then we got married, we could be here all day long of me sharing with you stories where things looked horrible, didn't look like they were going to amount to anything, didn't look like they were going to come through, and all of a sudden, because we had done things in faith, God stepped in and showed up. We were too poor to pay attention. We didn't have two nickels to rub together. On welfare, on Medicaid. You say, did you, did you cut back your tithe and your giving during that time? No, we did not. Inflation's coming. Shouldn't we hold back, Pastor? No. Not if you want to see the blessing of God. If you want to live on your own with your own rules and regulations, go for it. See how that works out for you. I've been there, done that. It didn't work out good. I'm not going back. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot decided to go pitch his tents right in the middle, and Heath is going to preach about this in a couple weeks, right in the middle of Sodom and Gomorrah is where he pinched his tent. If you don't know a lot about that, hang on next week, you'll find out. Because it looked good. That's Satan's tactic, by the way, I think a lot. Because we are such a visual world. That he can get us hooked on the way things look. We don't have time to talk about this this morning, but I'll just tell you it's happened in my life and probably many men in here. It's a very easy temptation for guys for us to do things by the way things look. And what that is is a hook from the enemy because the enemy knows we like to operate by the way things look. Be careful. Lot did that. And what's scary is, 
the, we operate by the way things look. Did, did you know people can actually look more spiritual than they are? They really can. They can act more spiritual than they are. They can pray, O holy, thouest lordest, blesseth theeth in thy highest places. I'm serious. People can look more spiritual than they are. I remember one of the churches that Lynette and I served in. Within about six months, we thought we had some, man, we met some great, we said, babe, this is a great spiritual godly people. Fast forward a few years, this is the same people that stabbed us in the back and kicked us out. You know, equally, people can look less than what they are. Remember having a conversation with a man at a fundraising event one time, and he's sitting there and he's got on uh, overalls and got on his cowboy boots. I think there was still straw from out in the field where he'd been working on them. I mean, this was supposed to be a semi-formal event, and I'm up there with a the sport coat on, and I'm thinking, what in the world is this guy? And I, I'm just confessing to you. I'm not too ashamed to be honest with you. I'm walking around kind of shaking my hands, trying to meet people at each table, and I stopped and gave him what I felt was due diligence, but I went on to the next table. Come to find out, that's the millionaire in town. He didn't care what he wore because he knew where his assets were. He was taken care of, so he was just going to show up in his overalls from right after getting off the tractor. He didn't care. So you better be careful how you make decisions because the way things look are not always the reality. And here we are doing what we're doing as a church family coming out of a pandemic. It's, it's very easy to listen to the voices And I'll be honest, it's made me over the last few months go, okay, Jack, where does your allegiance lie? Where does your loyalty lie? And to whom are you listening? God confirms his promise again to Abram. And he tells him in verse 13, chapter chapter 13, verse 14, the Lord appeared to Abram. He says, lift up your eyes and look from this place. I'm, just a reminder, he says, I'm going to give, you, give it to you and your descendants forever. At the end of chapter 13, verse 16, I'm going to make your descendants as the dust of the earth. In the end of the chapter, Abram moved his tent and he went to dwell among the oaks of, oaks of Mamre, which in, are in Hebron. And there he, what did he do? He built another altar. So what happened to Lot during all this? I'm glad you asked. Because Lot went off on his own, Right? He chose based on the way things look. He went off on his own very quickly. Let's read what happened. Chapter 14. I'll summarize it for you quickly. These kingdoms get in war with each other and they're fighting with each other right around the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah. If you pick up at verse 8 of chapter 14, it says, The king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah and the king of Admah and the king of Zeboam and the king of Bela, that is Zor, they come out and they're arrayed for battle against the valley of Siddim and against this king, Chirleloam. King of, these are a lot of great words, aren't they? Don't name your kids or grandkids these words, by the way. The king of Elam and Tidal, king of Goam, and Amraphel, king of Shiner, and Ariot, king of Elasar. Four kings against five. Basically, picture it. There's these kings going to war against each other. And I've never seen this before, understand it. I've never seen pictures. But apparently, in this valley, verse 10 tells us there were these tar pits, and these kings were, flit, were running, and they fled, and they fell into these tar pits. So there's these wars going on. I guess you would call them tar wars. <laughs> thank you, thank you. One empire would strike and the other empire would strike back. Okay, there we go. We'd throw that in. 
But there's these wars going on and they're fighting with each other. And they took, in verse 11 of chapter 14, it says, They took all the, go- the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah, all their food supply, and they departed. And guess what else they took? They took Lot, Abram's nephew, and his possessions and departed, for he was living in Sodom. What does that tell me? The other thing we can learn about this story, number three, bad company corrupts good morals. Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians 15. Lot chose based on the way things looked. It led him to a land that he thought was going to be all wonderful, all milk and honey, all great, all wonderful. And it was actually the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. There he finds himself and a war breaks out. And when the war breaks out and it's finally over, the winning side goes and they capture all the people that they want to go with them. They captive, take them captive. And one of the people that's taken captive is Lot. Wow. Which brings me to a couple of questions and we'll close. Who are you hanging around? You know, a lot of times we think that's just for young people. And I've told you, I think, before that the first uh, four years of my high school career was determined my ninth grade year when I stepped onto the campus to the greatest high school in South Carolina, Dorman High School. And I stepped onto that campus and I knew the first group of people that I talked to, the first people that I hung out with, the first group of people that I took my lunch tray with my square piece of pizza and my corn on the cob, and I sat down at the table. That first group was going to determine my high school career. And we as older people, we know that. We know how important it is as a young person to choose your friends wisely, young people. It's so important. You don't realize how important it is. You will. It's so important. But the reality is, for those of us who are older, it's equally as important. Who are we hanging around? Who are we standing around the water cooler with at the office talking with and listening to? Who are we grabbing breakfast with and letting fill our minds with things and thoughts that may not be of God? You better be careful because you don't realize it. Because it's much like I've shared the story before and some of you know it, throwing the frog in the kettle. You don't throw the frog in the hot kettle. You throw the frog in a lukewarm kettle and as you slowly turn up the heat, the frog will just sit there and cook itself to death. You know what? The enemy knows that. The enemy knows that when it comes to our friends and the people that we hang around. So whether you're young or whether you're old, you better be careful. And some people will come up to you just like Jesus can appear As angels unaware, guess who else can appear as a demon unaware? Scares me to death sometimes the way I hear people making decisions. Well, it just looked like, Pastor, it just looked like everything just lined right up. Just lined right up. You think the devil can't line up ducks? All the ducks are in a row. Everything lined right up. God can line up ducks too, but there's a lot more confirmation that I want from God to tell me that's Him than some ducks lining up. And yet that's the way a lot of times we make decisions in our world, even in the church sometimes. We can also make decisions equally by people that are around us who we allow to speak into our lives. Some of you that are older may understand this. Some of you who are younger, I hope that you will one day. But there are many times the voices of people around me I've had to learn the skill just turning those people off and letting it just be wah, 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 like Charlie Brown, school teacher. And I don't listen to the content because I know the content is going to derail me from what God has called me to do. And as much as I might love that person, my loyalty is not to that person. My loyalty is to God and ultimately I have to do what He's told me to do. And it can be well-meaning people. 
So we have to be careful. So dear friend, here's a few questions as we, as we close. Where is your loyalty today? Is it divided? Because there's no such thing as divided loyalty. Where is your allegiance? How are you making decisions? Are you making decisions based on the way things look? It's only part of the equation. But faith is how God wants us to make decisions. By faith. As a matter of fact, Abram becomes so important, becomes Abraham. If you read Hebrews chapter 11 and chapter 12, you'll actually hear the writer of Hebrews begins to say, By faith, Abram did this. By faith, Moses, the hall of fame of all the people in the Old Testament that get called out, how they operate was by faith, not by the way things looked. So you're operating by faith. And what about those people around you that are speaking into your life, speaking into your ear? Be careful. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for what you're teaching me as we look at this study of Genesis. I thank you for the reminder that my loyalty has to lie first and foremost to you. I thank you, Lord, for the reminder that Logic is good. Common sense is great. But Lord, I cannot make decisions based on the way things look. And Lord, I thank you that in this place called Crossroads, you have allowed Lynette and I and our family the incredible honor and privilege to be surrounded by people of great character who want to follow you. And Lord, could it be that is the purpose of this journey? I know it's more than any physical structure that we would ever build. It's about the spiritual insides of what you're doing in and through us. And so I thank you for the people in this room Godly men and women who are striving to serve you. Because as bad company corrupts good morals, good company, I would say godly company, pushes us out in faith to surrender and to step out into the unknown and to grab the hand of God. I thank you. There are people in this place that help us do that together. Dear friend, as you're praying this morning, I don't know how God's spoken to your heart. Maybe you need to confess or repent. Or maybe there's a situation in your life you need great wisdom about. Maybe there's a situation in your life where you have made decisions based on the way things look. And you say, wow, okay, God, I've messed that up. I need you. Maybe you're praying for some godly friends on your campus. I don't know how God's spoken to you, but we are going to have a song of invitation. And I believe as the presence of the Lord is in this place, the Holy Spirit is inviting you to respond today. Maybe from your seat, but maybe, maybe today it's to come and to kneel at this altar, or to stand at this altar, and just spend a few minutes praying and saying, God, thank you. Help me to be loyal to you. I don't want to put words into your mouth. You know what God wants you to do this morning. But I pray as we stand and sing that you would do what he's leading you to do today.
Father, have your way during this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you come and respond as the Lord leads you? Stand with us. Let's sing this song. I'm going to ask my friend Heath to come stand and join me. And Corey, if you need somebody to pray with you this morning, we would love to do that. We're here for that, of course. But if you need to make a decision for the Lord, please respond as He leads you today. We hope you've been challenged and inspired from today's message. You can find out more about the message you have heard today by visiting our website, hope at crossroads.org. If you live in the upstate South Carolina area and you're looking for a church home, we hope you'll come by and visit sometime. Details about our church and service times can also be found online. In addition, we want to invite you to check out some of the great items at our website that will help you, or you can give as a gift to a friend. Devotionals and other resources are all available at hope at crossroads.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you will tune in again next week.